it's the last night of germ syllabus. And we named this last week, Oh Shit, The Future, which feels like the right title for the precipice of rapidly approaching 2023. Um, And that name, I think, was also just an opportunity to end the series that we've been conducting since September um, or October with, you know, a look towards the future and it, we could feel it coming really assertively. I know I do this month between Elon Musk buying Twitter, chat, GPT, and Lenza getting a lot of attention this month and also the ongoing crypto winter. I think the last three months have been a pretty wild time to be working on a social media startup and also to be checking in about it live every week and thinking about social media ethics um, in all of that context. For folks that are just tuning in or haven't heard this before, just a little bit about us. Germ Network is social media built to empower you, starting with a secure messenger for Gen Z. I am Tessa. I am our CEO. I was a digital literacy expert at Stanford before leaving to found this company. And my co-founder, Brett, is here, who is an awesome UX designer and a community builder as well. So speaking of our community, please hang out with us in our Discord through the link in any of our bios. And if you've been hanging out with us, this series, Germ Syllabus, is really a course All of the materials that I'll mention here in a moment are up in our Discord. The link is in my Twitter bio. This is our last Tuesday session. And this Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, we'll have our last Friday Discord voice chat of the year. So please join. And our Discord has really been filling up with amazing technologists and makers who are working on building a better world. And I'm also excited that this... And we're also going to release this Twitter series as podcast episodes. So stay tuned, follow us on Twitter, Discord, LinkedIn for those updates when we have them. As usual, I want to share a few thoughts to kick us off before I bring in Brett and any of our guests. Tonight is called Oh Shit the Future. And that was really just a pithy way to try to sum up some of the radical changes that are happening in our tech environment And to have kind of a techno-realist, not techno-optimist, not techno-pessimist, but just realistic eye towards these trends as we wrap up the series. I gathered some articles in our Discord about artificial intelligence, effective altruism, and responsible algorithms, and a little bit about end-to-end encrypted messaging. So I wanted to just mention what I put in there. First of all, AI has been on everyone's minds lately. I feel like as chat, GPT, and Lenza take off, it's really important to remember that some of the biases folks are critiquing them for were the subject of work from the ethical AI team at Google that was dismantled when they started critiquing Google. And that started with the firing of Timnit Gebru. So I have an article about her and her new institute, D.A.R.E. And I also have a piece about deep fakes being used to harass women because misogyny has been a fun theme in the series. And then I have two pieces on effective altruism, which is this hyper-utilitarian ethics that Sam Bankman-Fried and Elon Musk both subscribe to, among other very rich 
Silicon Valley movers and shakers. And this framework basically prioritizes a hypothetical interplanetary future over the lives and the well-being of the 7 billion people that are alive on our planet today. So folks are starting to dig into that school of thought and really critique it. I also included Mozilla's call for responsible algorithms, which they posted just a couple weeks ago. And they write, Mozilla is calling on platforms like YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter to publicly disclose how recommender systems work and grant users proper control over the customization of their display feed. And I really appreciate how they're trying to shift the conversation from moderation, per se, to amplification, right? Who are we spreading? And then finally, I included Meredith Whitaker's Verge interview. Um, It's actually a podcast, but I like to read the transcripts. And I included her for her full-throated insistence that privacy is part of the internet of the future, which is something that we really believe at Germ also. Tonight basically wraps up a season where we have continually talked about centering marginalized people and women of color in our conceptions of tech ethics and understanding tech harms. We've talked about the challenges of putting trust and safety first when you're still looking for global scale. And we've also thought about some of the ways that business models shape how we pursue our missions. And these themes all came up with our last three guests. CTO Shankar Ponikanti of Trust Lab, Jane M., PhD candidate at University of Michigan, and last week we had our advisor Rihanna Pfefferkorn, an encryption policy expert at Stanford. For me as a historian, myself by training, I really am of that classic historian opinion that we study the past to understand the present and to better make the future. So when I think about AI or Web3 or privacy tech or digital activism in the future, I know that we need to be informed by the past. That's where you can look to see the vectors that we're still riding into the future, you know? So we always want to ask ourselves, are we mitigating the sexism and the racism and the colonialism that we know are built into these systems Because if we're not talking about them and if we're not mitigating them, they're just reproducing themselves. And we've been talking about that all season. So tonight I'm thinking about what has been lingering with us all series, what emerging technologies are catching our attention, or what our predictions or fears or maybe even hopes are for 2023. Brett, what what have you been thinking about? Yeah, it's, you know, I feel like the last couple of episodes has, we've, we've kind of like talked about AI, even though that's not the subject matter. And it's, it's kind of, I guess it's fitting that like, like you brought up AI a lot. And I mean, it makes sense because I feel like it's just taken over the world all of a sudden. Um, So, so that's when, when you were talking about that, I feel like it's just almost like i feel like it it reminds me back to like the nft craze last year and cryptocurrency and even like a a little bit of metaverse um but i was i was reading an article on the verge the other day about this where like the difference between like you know it, it kind of feels like like the nft bubble burst and that a lot of that had to do with just a lot of people were like just 
it wasn't stable enough and it was always risky and like then they kind of like scammers got a hold of it and the Sam Bankman Freeds of the world got a hold of NFTs and were willing to just take advantage of um, everyone. Um, and it just kind of went crazy and they like, kind of like lost their mission. Um, Metaverse, I mean, I think the technology of VR and AR is really cool. Um, but just the fact that like face, we've all been burned by Facebook and just the fact that Facebook kind of just like made it their own thing. It just turned, at least it turned me off. And I feel like it turned a lot of people off yeah. of the metaverse. Um, so it's just like once once Meta went full in on the VR, AR stuff, then it was just like, okay, this is actually just not cool. Like, you know, it, it like it was cool before Facebook bought into it and now it's not cool. Um, the thing with AI, and it's, it's funny because like as an artist, as a designer, I should be like up in arms with the... AI stuff and I am to the most for the most part because it's like the idea that you know I would not like it like if I was a serious artist and I put my art online I would not like it when like these AR chat like bots come in to um and like take my work my hard-earned work like I spent years in design school I I worked on that in a, as a craft like for for years just as a skill and that's something that like not just me but like any artist everywhere um, uses like that's just like a skill that some people have and some people don't have and it takes a long time to develop that skill yeah um, so like just the fact that like an AI can like take pieces of like an artwork and like make it into it it's like i'm kind of like i feel kind of mixed to be honest because there is that part where it's like oh they're gonna like you know pretty soon we're only gonna see ai work artwork and already it's tough to be an artist already so it's like you know it's kind of like there's that but then on the other hand when i see like the capabilities of what chat gpt can do and what and even what like AI art can do, I'm just thinking like, oh, like this is this could actually like this is something. And like whereas yeah. I didn't feel that way when the NFT craze was going. Like I sort of understood why it was so different, but like I feel like the AI stuff, it is different. Like this this technology is like a step above what Google can do. This is a step above of what anyone can do really and so it's just like it, it's like you know it's crazy and I, I feel like with any technology there's always going to have to like work out the kinks and yeah, you mentioned how like AI like just the I, I think the biggest one when we're thinking of germ is that like uh, I, I think I heard on the on the daily that um, that so what what chat gpt does primarily is they they took data from like every article um in the world that's on the internet and um and then this this computer or chat gpt 
basically like associates the different words um, so that like it can like form a sentence. So like if you asked it, what what your you know like what's I don't even know like a poem about um, Lionel Messi winning the World Cup or something. I'm just <laughs> thinking of it on the top of my head. Lionel Messi, like they'll they'll put out like a poem of Lionel Messi because they went to all the articles and found all the different things that like that was said about Lionel Messi and they can like put it like in like two seconds and that's incredible. Um, but like it, it comes to a point when you say like when you type in like tell it a love story, for the most part they're going to tell you a love story between a man and a woman and that's not necessarily true because you know they're they're gay people out there and that's not always the case but it just so happens that there's a lot more heterosexual story love stories that are out there versus gay stories out there so it's like i can see it leading to a path where will have more like chat GPT might skew towards like being like going more towards that status quo. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. And I know I'm rambling on a little bit, but before I give it back to you, uh, the other thing that I noticed or that I thought was pretty cool though, from chat GPT on that instance was that they, like if you were to talk, like they said this on the New York Times, the daily podcast that was talking about this stuff. Um, Cause like, I guess one of the reporters just like tried to test out like what, what it like wouldn't allow. So he said like, it wouldn't go as far as to like answer like really like racist questions. So like uh, the, the reporter said that he could, um, like he asked, like who was his favorite Nazi or something like that, and the um, and Chappie GPT just like refused to answer that, um, and and that's in the creator's design. Yeah, and that's, just, and that's just like an interesting aspect of it because like the creators of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, he was an unethical man. He is an unethical person, um, and that's him but like the creators of chat gpt like at the very least like they are thinking of this stuff um and so that i i kind of applaud them um but you know it could be one of those things like just like so much like whoever creates this like super ai right it might not be like chat gpt like they're gonna hold all the power just like the heads of google hold all the power, the heads of Wikipedia hold all the power, like Facebook holds all the power, now Elon Musk holds all the power, you know, it's just like, it's whoever owns these companies hold all the power, and it's like, do you actually trust the owners of ChatGPT to still be ethical, not just this year, but next year, and the year after that, when it, if it does ex actually explode, like it's leading towards. Yeah, there's so many points that you raise that I want to respond to. I mean, yeah, I think... I'm sorry, I went, I went long there. <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, you kind of yeah. just 
I feel like you just had comments on what I said. Now I have comments back on what you said, but maybe we can <laughs> like yeah, shake can it up have, a little more. But we can um, have more of a conversation. That's fair. Well, I feel like the two big things that I'm thinking about are like the ethics of ChatGPT, and I mean, in some ways, it's all about that, but also thinking about you know my own because I'm kind of in a similar position as you as a writer. Um, that I have a craft, you know, that I've been honing for years and now it's, you know, imitatable. I think the thing, the commentary that I've seen in the last few weeks that has really stayed with me the most is someone retweeted, you know, these screenshots that we're seeing all the time. Someone posted or retweeted a chat GPT prompt an answer that was something like compare the political philosophies of like Benedict Anderson and someone else and this guy retweeted solid a minus work right there and I feel like that has really stayed with me because that is exactly right like thinking as an educator as well you know when we're working with our students maybe not graduate school A minus work, but like if you're working with undergrads, if you're teaching a history class, if you're teaching a political theory class, if you ask a student to compare, you know, two theorists, political philosophies, and they can correctly describe both of them, correctly compare and contrast them, write their answers in standard American English sentences in, you know, well-organized paragraphs, that really is enough to put them in the A range. And the only reason that it can't get to an A or an A plus is, you know, that glimmer of insight that comes from human creativity. And I feel like it's the same with Lenza as well. Like, you can create really dynamic, you know, effective images really fast. You cannot create, just from feeding it pictures, you can't create art, like, you know, A plus art, if we define art as like expressing something that's in your soul. That said, going back to what you were saying with both of these tools, like my kind of instinct or my training also is like don't fear the reaper like new technologies are always coming and they're always taking out old ways of doing things and bringing in new ways of doing things and it's like you can't really fight it I mean you can try to preserve jobs or whatever I think there's a micro and a macro way to look at this that, you know, there is harm and there is opportunity for, I don't even want to say progress, like there is harm and there is just change. Like about how I used to have my students read Plato and I would have them read the Phaedrus. (laughs) And, you know, in that dialogue, they're talking about the invention of writing. And Plato is like, no one's going to understand. No one's going to remember anything anymore. Now that writing is invented, the art of memorization is going to be lost. And, 
people are going to take things out of context and they're going to ask questions of a piece of writing and the writing can't answer the way you can always cross-examine a speaker. So it's going to make everyone stupider. That was Plato. That was 2000 years ago, you know, and that's how people sounded when TV was invented. That's how people sound when they talk about social media. That's how people sound when they talk about these new AIs. So I think when you look at it from a historical perspective, you can see that new technologies always come. They always, they just always do come, you know? But when you look at it from a humanitarian perspective and a more micro perspective, I think, yes, there are people who write copy every day or do certain types of graphic design every day that they might struggle to keep their job now in the context of those new AIs. The same way that what is writing was invented, people that were, you know, professional bards had their industry shaken up. I mean, that's the history of technology. I feel, I think what, and this goes into the ethical stuff and please like interrupt me so we can go back and forth, but where well, I start I, I, having, oh, okay. Sorry. I'll just say, I, I guess I'll put this one sentence one. out that like, just this one, the one place where I start getting kind of angrier about those two models beyond the, like before we even get to the sexism and racism and stuff is the fact that it's replacing artists who didn't consent to have their work yeah. become training data and they didn't put their work in the public domain. So it really is like a theft. It really is a theft of intellectual property. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I guess there's, there's two points there, but uh, yeah, just going back to what you, the main thing that you were talking about, how like, like if you're not, you know, that's just how society works and how technology um, evolves. Like we were saying this, like a lot of people were saying the same thing about the internet uh, when it was first becoming mainstream. And, you, you know, we were saying the same thing about the TV and as you were saying. So like, and I feel like that's, that's very true here where the invention of like Photoshop and the computer, like it used to be where, like designers would just be like going into their like photo room and messing around on the photo room. And it wasn't um, like, you know, like they would use like stencils, letter stencils and uh, like typewriters and things like that. Whereas like the invention of Photoshop and, and all these different like artistic tools that you could get on the computer, it was just kind of like a, a game changer in that sense where, you can start to like manipulate it in real time. And, and that's something that I feel like there is something in AI um, where it's like, it, it does feel like there is some type of shift there. Um, and yeah, you, you said like new materials are always going to come, but I, I guess before we get into like the ethical stuff, cause that is interesting and that does lead into what we like that is more related to germ. Um, I, I do have a question that I've been thinking about um, on that note of like, is there a way that you can think of that like AI art or chat GPT could be like something like a Google factory maybe, or like it could like 
be like a prompt in a way like i feel like there's a way that we can like work with the ai instead of against it i don't know um, what do you mean like a google factory well because i i, I kind of think for like if you take chat gpt for instance i i think of it like because like when you're googling something like you're 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 asking like oh, the oh. nearest like burger like the nearest burger joint or whatever or <laughs> i don't even know whereas like the chat gbt kind of like answers like questions that google can't answer yeah um, and what i've also been seeing like i've seen more and more critiques in the last couple of years of like the google search algorithm itself and the way that seo has like ruined the google searching experience because if i search something like how do i i've even had moments like this really recently how do i move my website from one domain registrar to another all 10 blog posts on the first page are total search engine optimized bullshit none of which are written by like a technical expert that's going to help me solve my problem the best. They're all written by some random contractor that was hired for probably $5 to write this just using every search term as many times as possible. It's like also all those recipe blogs that are like, 4,000 words before you get to just like two cups of sugar, two eggs, you know? And so Google kind of got undone by its own. I mean, it's interesting because that's what we started this whole series with in week two, you know, about the way that Google really was not, is not based on library scientists understanding of a surfacing the best information and that as a process of curation and um you know done by humans and google is really a popularity contest and so they made that popularity contest you know open to anybody and now people have specialized into just kind of gaming the system and i think you're right that chat gpt now can give better answers to much more not even sophisticated questions. Like if you say, you know, what is the best way to blah, 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 it often has a really good answer. I mean, I had a call with a girl this morning, like a friend of germs actually, who was telling me that she knows someone who doesn't know how to code and in two weeks of messing around with ChatGPT, coded a whole app by continuing to tell ChatGPT, write me code for like the following feature. And then if there was a bug, they would just feed it back in again and say, there's a bug. And then it would fix the code and then write the next code for the next feature. So it's like, It's obviously an extraordinarily powerful tool. I think the way that I've been trained, you know, tools themselves, you know, technology is not 
it's not neutral, but it's also not inherently good or bad, you know? And you have to analyze the actual systems that it's being produced in, the the uses that it's being applied to, and actually look at real-world harms and get out of the realm of, you know, hypotheticals to see, you know, is being harmful? What is it saying that, you know, we don't think is socially just? What is incorrect? And what can it do better? How do we want to hold it accountable? Yeah, no, that's a good point. And yeah, I guess that leads into our like ethical question about it. By the way, Natalie, I see that she has entered this Twitter spaces. If you feel free to um, uh, speak if or request to speak if you want to, but of course, if you just want to listen, that's also great too. Um, yeah, I guess that does lead into like the ethical discussion of of AI and and where we see it in the future because yeah I think like you know that that story of just like writing code or that girl who just like learned how to code based off of chat GPT and and all that stuff like that that is kind of cool though in a way that like she was like able to understand what's going on even though she never wrote a line of code oh my god it's Um, wild so like that part is like really cool. And that's something that I don't think I could have said about like NFT stuff um, in a weird way. Um, and so, so that stuff is kind of wild. So like, yeah, I guess it could be like a good tool about like, just like teaching and, and educating and stuff like that. I mean, it could um, do all sorts of things. I think it's just really disruptive, you know, like if right. you're, if you're and new technologies like this also show like the weakness and the precarity of our existing systems. Like if you go on Upwork right now or Fiverr, you can find a ton of people all over the world that are graphic artists that are making like small illustrations for people or are writing like small copywriting jobs for people. Like their jobs are all in danger, you know? Now, there's an opportunity for some of them if they're enterprising, and I'm not even saying they should be. Like, there's value in just people just being able to survive, you know? Like, everyone shouldn't have to be a cutting-edge entrepreneur to survive. But some of them will embrace these new technologies, and it will, like, radically supercharge what they're doing, you know? And I think that's what you were alluding to before. Like, you can work with Lenza. You can work with ChatGPT. It can accelerate what you're already doing. Or maybe there's other entrepreneurs out there that couldn't afford a copywriter and or couldn't afford fancy art, and now they can go get it. So it's like it reshapes who's in what position, you know? Maybe we can get ChatGPT to code germ for us. Um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that was, I'm like half kidding there. Um, <laughs> I mean, but, I think it will do all sorts of things yeah. throughout industries, you know? It could certainly yeah. write our freaking LinkedIn posts every week. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, that was the other thing that I was thinking about because like just from the way that I understand how like at least AI art works, like that's pretty, like it just 
takes a look at all the art that's around the world that's like pretty much how the like tiktok algorithms work and how instagram algorithm works is that they like find what's in common with the previous post and if you like it you like it if you don't you don't um so it, it does kind of like remind me of like the algorithm and in a way like we're all on our phones that's like a computer um and just going back to what you previously said a couple of minutes ago about like just the like how like yeah stolen artwork like before the whole like gender bias and the before the whole like orientation bias stuff it's like yeah it is like stealing but i i kind of think of it as like as an artist on my own um I don't know, maybe this is a hot take or something, but I feel like when I'm like, like the reason why, or a part of the reason why I'm an artist or like a, a or how I became as skilled and that's the same for everyone is by looking at other art, like where it's impossible to not be influenced by other art. Um, if you're an artist or like, you know, that's the same when you're like, if you're going to be a writer, you're going to read books uh, mm-hmm. to know how to write. So from that sense, like, I don't think of it as stealing, but there is the sense of where I do get sort of upset is that, like, if I spent 50 hours on a painting um, and, like, no one's, like, paying me money <laughs> for, for that because I'm, like, a struggling artist, and then all of a sudden this like AI art machine can make what I wanted to do in like one second. That's like partly pretty cool to be honest, but it's also gotta be so frustrating um, because like when you're paying someone to commission art for you, you're doing that because they took the time to like, or they have the skills, like they, they went to school, presumably they, you know, you've seen what they've been doing before. Um, whereas, like, in AI art, you could just say, like, okay, paint me, like, a whatever you, you can even dream of. Whereas, like, you know, I guess there there is an element, though, that I guess that's when, like, style comes into play. Like, like a Jackson Pollock has a particular type of style. Van Gogh has a particular type of style. Um, and that's... That's where I was going to jump in a little bit too, because it's not just about style. It's about innovation. Like anyone can make a Jackson Pollock today because he thought of it first. No one made one before him, you know, like AI can copy a Van Gogh and make something that looks like a Van Gogh, but it couldn't have made a Van Gogh training on all of the art that existed up until the moment of Van Gogh. So I think that's goes back to what I was saying about it's going to be bad for some people, but it's not intrinsically bad. Like, I mean, there are things about it even that I think are bad, but technological progress is a fact of life. That's neither good nor bad. And like, Now, whether you're talking about the craft of writing or whether you're talking about the craft of visual art, 
these tools are now technologies that artists can work with. So, you know, when I say, when we say, oh, you don't have to pay Lensa everything, but you have to pay me because I studied for 30 years. Well, you also studied, but you also do your graphic design on a laptop that you have no idea how to make. You don't have to mix your own paints or make your own brushes. And this laptop, the fact that you can afford it and it's $1,000 is subsidized by global capitalism. And the fact that there's poor people on other parts of the world who are mining aluminum and assembling your laptop. So like that's all unethical already. And it's inside your laptop. Now also inside your laptop is Lensa. And like Lensa becomes a tool that is now going to elevate the whole game of making visual art. And we're just at the very first instant of like grappling with that in the same way it could be as disruptive as when the printing press was invented and all the fucking scribes were shit out of luck. Because you don't have to pay someone however many gold bullions anymore, you know, to hand write your book manuscript for you. You could print a thousand copies. And, like, that's, I think, the scale of what we're looking down the barrel of right now. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, yeah, I feel like, and it, yeah, I guess it goes back to what I was just talking about with, like, styles. Like, you're still, like, you know, you still have to, like, find your style. Like, I, I, I think people are always going to be writing because you need to communicate. People are always going to be drawing just to have that outlet. Um, it's just like, you know, it's just more about how do we work with the AI and like, if you're not working with the AI, then you're going to be out of luck pretty much. Um, so that's where it gets, yeah. it, it gets, um, dicey. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I guess it's just like, I am fascinated by how it goes, um, I feel like that's why you're like a startup co-founder because you're not afraid. (laughs) You're not afraid. Do you know what I mean? Like you accept that stuff is changing so much and you either get on the train or you miss the train, you know? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I was, no, it's funny because like over, like you knew me. I mean, it's funny that I'm like talking in past tense, uh, even though it was a year ago. Um, But like I was, pretty fascinated by this nft stuff because i felt like there was an aspect of when you're an artist you want to own your work especially on your as a as an online person like when i put something on my portfolio if i put something on instagram or social media like even though i'm I definitely never got to that extreme. There is like a chance that like someone could theoretically copy what I put up and, and say that it's their own. So I, I, I like that aspect of like making it your own from the NFT part of it, but I never got a chance to really 
Um, I never made a NFT of any of my work, <laughs> and I never, you know, because I felt like there was it wasn't accessible enough, or it isn't accessible enough. I know Natalie is in the Web three, so um, maybe we'll talk later. She doesn't feel like talking now. Um, it also looks like we have another artist in our Twitter space here. Um, feel free to speak up if you're if you want to say anything. Um, yeah, I wanted most. to. Melody. I wanted to echo that and just say either of you are welcome to join request to speak. And um, just a reminder always that we are recording this and we're going to re-release it as a podcast episode. So just know what you're getting into Uh, informed consent. Yeah. It looks like Natalie um, has requested to speak. If you want to say anything. I made it to the promised land. The sound is much better here on stage. <laughs> nice. Uh, good evening to both. Always a rich conversation. I feel like you guys need your own talk show, unlike some people on Twitter. Um, that's here nor there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we are going to make these into a podcast. So we, I guess technically we are a talk show. We have to bring um, the chat, the good chat. Exactly, exactly. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on on what we've been talking about? Shout out to Uttermelon. Uh, Uttermelon is probably one of the most amazing wearable makers, designers in the metaverse and also makes some really cool um, projects and voxels. And so, um, oh, yeah. so he's badass. The understatement. I love Uttermelon. Good people. Uh, you have your hand up. Go ahead. Um your thoughts just because you're in the web three space cutting edge living on the cutting edge <laughs> like linkedin um article titles i was kidding <laughs> um, uh, a lot of thoughts however um again really enjoy the rich conversation i would say that uh i think there are like well probably a many different types of camps that are popping up and kind of web free. However, I still feel it's a bit stag- stagnant and actually um, was just like um, included uh, in a conversation around philanthropy and web three. And I was like, how do I approach this conversation? Because it's, if anything spicy about me, it's that particular topic. And so um, we had like a back end conversation. I'm like, we need to dismantle like, philanthropy and they're like oh my god and <laughs> I'm like you heard me talk spicy before person and so um I I think ultimately like people are at least in this moment attempting to regurgitate and replicate like what they've seen some I guess humans can only um to some extent build like what they can see some people have lost their imagination when they turn seven and so um (laughs) and so i i hope that we can just really think about um as i always talk about like radical imagination and building through a more um liberatory um kind of lenses and radical uh lenses than we have in web3 thus far uh, because it's still the same thing it just um, we add on the tech and the blockchain and all these fancy words and kind of cultural um, norms or lack thereof <laughs> in um, Web3. And so I'm curious if we're looking towards um, the future, um, we need to be thinking about how, like what, how, and why are we actually building these things and what needs to be different here and having this conversation. Because I don't, um, outside of like germs and like a few other communities, I 
the, these conversations, at least, at least in my opinion, are pretty sparse. And um, I want to be optimistic that that's not the case. Um, but I, I've, um, uh, I'll land here. I went to unconference. Like I woke up at 5 a.m. this morning and it was a really rich conversation. I'm like, where the hell have you people been my whole entire like Web3 life? Because they were really open to the conversation about like these um, types of topics and what the future looks like and kind of talking about equity and stuff. But I don't find, I find a lot of resistance, especially in the DAO ecosystem around these conversations, which is kind of funny, but that's it. I feel like that's why we're internet friends you know and we have to like grab onto each other when we find each other I mean and we did like I met you near the beginning of this journey and we were like you um and I feel like that's you know I'm reminded of something that I may have mentioned like much earlier in the series which feels like it's been the longest three months of my life somehow um but like an observation that I have on the rush to the rush to AI, the rush to crypto, now the rush to well, yeah, crypto, AI, Web3, whatever. Like, I see it all as this kind of white lash to 2020 because 2020 was this huge even the layoffs that we just saw. I mean, 2020 was this huge racial reckoning. There were so many demands made. There were so many corporate commitments made and so many workplace conversations that were happening. And it was becoming very clear there was like an emerging consensus that big tech needs to take the health, safety, well-being of its users and thinking specifically about marginalized users of their platforms and their technologies really seriously and design with that in mind. And, you know, these companies have like almost endless resources and they just like didn't want to do it. Like the, the complex system that we call capitalism just didn't want to do it. And after a little bit of the media attention calmed down, they just started rushing towards Web3. They started rushing towards AI. And there was this kind of fiction promoted that we don't need to take the lessons of Web2 into Web3. But when I listen to what, Natalie, what you were just saying is that it's the exact same issues because it's the same world and we're the same people, you know? And there's still racism, there's still misogyny, there's still exploitation. And they just have been accelerated, basically, in all these new domains. And I was talking earlier, you know, I was saying that technologies are not intrinsically good or bad a lot of the times. They need to be analyzed in the systems that they emerge in. And you know, I think a lot of these new sort of tech trends of the last two years, they could be good. They could do all sorts of cool things, but they're not coming out of a place of reflection and accountability. And so then we see these chat tools, you know, being released that 
say things that are wrong, say things that are homophobic, say things that are racist, or we see Lenza being extremely colorist, basically, and extremely invested in a gender binary. So if you say you're a woman, it's going to make you look like a white woman with huge boobs. And if you say you're a man, it's going to make you look like some Ken doll type of character. And if you're non-binary, I don't know if that's even an option. And if you have the range of gender expression of humanity, it's really not like caught up with that. So I feel like this whole series, you know, for me was a really wonderful opportunity to just because germ, you know, we're building a company that we want to be a communication company of the future. We're not afraid of the future, but like, why make the same mistakes again? It's just, to me, that's just dumb. Like we have this whole past to learn from. Like, what shouldn't shouldn't we do that? Is that such a crazy suggestion? Yeah, I guess uh, like that famous uh, statement of history repeats itself, or like that's why we learn history is we're doomed to repeat it. So, um, literally, yeah, yeah. And we talk about all the time, hindsight is twenty twenty. So right. why would you want to ship new products that are just going to act racist on everyone? Like, it's right. so obvious, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that was, like, why cryptocurrency started off with, like, good intentions. with uh, Because, like, that, that was the whole idea of crypto, like, was just because it was more secure, um, and, you know, you, you are, like, people want a more private, secure way of handling their money. Um, but now I feel like it's, it's, it's basically just creating, like, a, like you're, they're basically creating the same thing that is still in place. Like, it's not addressing the problems. It's just a different problem. Like, it's the same problems just different names for it basically Mm -hmm. um and um yeah it's just it's just interesting i um i also i remember i i know this is this might sound like it's going way off of left field but i remember so this was like 2014 um i i was just about to graduate college i i saw this like documentary about 3d printing I thought it was like the coolest thing in the world um, because it's just the idea that you could like print anything uh, that you can imagine and it could like just come to life. Um, and it just like, it, it feels like no one talks about 3D printing anymore because uh, I guess. It had its a, moment. It had it its 15 have, minutes. It did. Yeah. But like, I feel like, like there was like a sense that like you couldn't like it, it was never mainstream about it and it's just like and now like I almost like I, I applied to different places for 3D printing I guess at the time because I thought it was like the coolest thing in the world um and that's another thing where I, I still haven't like 3D printed anything um but I, I feel like that has kind of gone by the wayside and I'm curious if that will ever make it come back and I guess you could say the same thing about VR and AR um or yeah even cryptocurrency will will make you know I assume maybe like 
all these different things that like instead of becoming fads they'll like just you know hopefully if they learn from what like how it failed beforehand um like then they can like work on those improvements and and then like and then that's when the future starts with these things but it's like it feels like there's so much stuff out there where like it could very well be that like ai is a fad as well um but because like once once there's ai stuff then it's like oh we still have some ethical issues with it so it's just you have to like work out the kinks of like how is it going to fit into society Um, i feel like i feel like so much of our financial infrastructure and the vc system you know it pushes for quick returns and not necessarily solving people's problems and so when a new technology emerges everyone gets really excited you know and wants to know what the opportunity is for a return more than like our global financial systems the way we allocate resources is not actually based around how can we solve the most problems for the most people and there is you know, people are still working with 3D printing. People are doing all sorts of things with 3D printing, but it's totally lost the news cycle, you know, or people talk about with crypto, it's a hammer in search of a nail. Well, there are uses for blockchain, right? But that's not what has been over-indexed for in the last few years. It's been profiteering. You know, there are, we've been talking about this whole hour, there are amazing new use cases for all of this AI stuff, right? But it's not like, I mean, you know, I'm a bat, maybe my memoir a la Roxane Gay will be bad capitalist one day, but it's like, I want to solve humans' problems, like humanity's problems, actually. Um, And we have unbelievable technology available to us. And it's just not, I don't see the incentives there, you know? Um, And I mean, that's what I really always want to work towards and how we're designing our company is how can we create our incentive structure so that, whatever we are profiting from is truly helping people because if you don't set yourself up that way, it goes in the opposite direction really fast. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I think the way that germ is set up, like, you know, I I think the way that society is running, it is leading more towards, security and encryption and it's also leaning more towards connection because especially when we're all like after the pandemic happened we're all isolated from each other and we need connection more than ever um in different ways of doing that and that's hopefully what germ is all about but you know we also want to be protected after what happened with cambridge analytica and what happened with um you know, all these different things that we've talked about over the weeks um, about germ and, you know, just, you know, a lot of people want privacy. Um, That's what we've been 
finding out on our UX research data. Um, so, so that, yeah, it just, you know, bringing germ into this, it's like, we are trying to solve that issue because we're like, and yeah, ultimately like as cool as all these different things that we brought up in this chat are, are, um, you know, there is an element of like, okay, how do we, how do we make AR, AR, VR solve this issue? How do we make Web3 solve the issues of most users? And um, yeah, I think, I think Germ is leading more towards like, okay, we're going to focus more on privacy and encryption and connection because that's what the users want. Um, so there is an element of that. And you know, all this, like, and, and once we have those, like, values and, and user data, it's, like, it's just going to lead us to, to the future, and, you know, it, like, and who knows, we'll probably surpass AI. Um, here, here. And, yeah, and all the fads, <laughs> if, if it's a fad or not, you know, if it's, if it's a fad, yeah, we'll, we'll survive it, and if it's not a fad, we'll work with it, you know, so, I think something else that history, you know, shows, and I literally mentioned Plato earlier, is that technologies change and cultures change, but humans don't really change that much. And that to me is very grounding when I think about germ, you know, I feel like very fundamental to our vision is the fact that we're currently all discoverable to every other person on this planet practically. And even though that has created incredible opportunities for connection, like all of us who are on this call right now, who all met on the internet. Also, just because you theoretically might want to talk to anyone in the world doesn't mean that you want to talk to everyone in the world. And we've created these opportunities for finding people all over the world, but they've been created by companies like Facebook and TikTok and whatever, that their whole model is around endless growth and they're seeking total monopolistic saturation of the market. And they never give you tools to set boundaries anywhere because all they want you to do is have more connections, be more addicted, come onto the app more often so you can see more advertisements and buy more things. Those are the mechanics of their model. And that's not no matter how much the last 15 years has exposed us to each other, like human beings still want to set boundaries. We still feel creeped out by our overexposure. We feel creeped out by micro-targeting. We feel weirded out when, you know, Facebook says, you might know, and it's like your ex's sister's boyfriend that you met four years ago. You know what I mean? So I feel like technology changes and these tools are going to keep getting invented and they're going to keep coming down the pipeline. But like maybe we need to pull these tools back in line with our actual 
nature and the actual real laws of the universe. I feel like that's one of the reasons that we're called germ. Because, like, there's fundamental laws of growth, but you can also overgrow and go out of balance. And we need to bring these systems back into balance with how we really form communities and form relationships in healthier, more balanced ways. Yeah, you're here. Um, yeah, I don't, not, not much to really add on to that. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, it, it is 11.18, so we could start to wrap things up um, unless there are any more final thoughts. Maybe last uh, call from our guests. Yeah, last call. I just want to say, I know I say it all the time to you too, but always like appreciate you all. And like, I know that you both will build something that looks very different yep. from the rest of this um for lack of another word, idiotic landscape. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah. And then we can't rethink our relationship with VCs. I find them to be very, um, not all of them, but at least ones that I've run into in Web3, very um, vulture, vulture capitalist and um, has changed a lot of the um, uh, kind of frameworks and kind of work that we've done in some of the DAOs that I'm in, which made me honestly leave. And so um, I hope that we can envision a different world together. And I look forward to you all kind of setting the tone for what could be through um, the mirage of impossibilities <laughs> riddle mm. this planet. And so I appreciate both of you. The mirage of possibilities that riddle this planet. Bars. Yeah. Or impossibilities. The... <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's a future conversation that we have to have is the money talk. Because it really... Yeah there's so much abundance and yet it's so demanding. Yeah. Yeah. But there's so much that we can build and do. We got to figure out ways to do it. Thanks for the kind words, Natalie. Um, yeah. I mean, we're, I think we're planning on still talking in the, in the discord. Um, so it's like, even though germ syllabus is about to end um, on Friday, we're still, you know, we're still going to talk to people and we'll have these podcasts out forever. Um, and so people can listen to it even, even when it's like a year from now, it's going to be kind of cool that like, you know, these conversations will be preserved. Um, so that, that's going to be kind of a cool little thing of like, you know, we're going to show our expertise and this is something we're passionate about so uh, that was really the point of germ syllabus too is just we wanted to talk we wanted to share our um, expertise and why we're creating germ um, and it's a lot of it is because of all the topics that we talked about on germ syllabus um do you want to like do you have any closing words tessa not really i think i just want to say to our listeners join our discord and hang out with us in discord because i know that brett and i are actively thinking about what kind of community building do we want to do in 2023 you know we're thinking about do we want to continue using twitter as a platform do we want to divest our energy from this space 
Do we want to lean in elsewhere? Do we want to still be doing audio rooms? I feel like these conversations were really wonderful. So, you know, I don't think we're going to do another like course in the same format, but the germ syllabus gave us an opportunity to play with a few different formats. And so we're thinking about what we want to extend into 2023. So that's on deck. Yeah, I think once we started to realize like, oh, we can make these into a podcast, that's when we really started to figure it out. Because I think at like, at least for me at the beginning, I was like, oh, this is like cool. Like we get some guests over, we're talking about issues that we care about. But I think once we started to realize like, oh, this is actually going to be stuff that we can use forever um, Mm -hmm. and just put it on our podcast and, you know, like maybe it's it's just going to be something where it's like, oh, like, yeah, we, we talked about this uh, thing about encryption, um, you know, listen to this episode, or like, if you mm-hmm. want to hear the brilliance of Rihanna, listen to this episode. Um, so it's just like something that we can just uh, like show that this is something that we're passionate about, as I mentioned, and um, some these are all topics that we care about, and we're thinking about. And um, yeah, I think I think on that note, from what you're saying, like on for 2023, yeah, we're still thinking of ways to continue, um, like communicating with with the public, and yeah, we're we're not sure if Twitter is the place just with what what's going on with Elon, um, but on the other hand, it's like we wouldn't find cool people uh, on Twitter as well. So there is still like. Um, a nice aspect of it, even though it feels like a hellfire, hell on earth <laughs> on Twitter right now. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess, um, I guess I'll close it out unless you want to, Tessa. Um, Take us away. Yeah. So, like Tessa had mentioned, uh, you can join our Discord, uh, where we'll have a lot of people and join our community who uh, who are going to discuss all these different topics that we've talked about. Um, thank you for listening. Um, if you've, even if you've listened for one episode or just this last episode, uh, we appreciate it. Um, yeah, join our discord. It's on our Twitter bio at germ network. Um, that's our Twitter handle. I, I assume we'll, we'll eventually, we'll still keep our Twitter. I imagine even if we decide to not use it as much, um, and we're also on LinkedIn as well. You can uh, follow us there where we'll post uh, uh, all our announcements there on LinkedIn as well. Um, and yeah, you can, um, I'm, I'm currently, that's like my big task for uh, December and January. And it's just like editing all these podcasts and putting them out there. Um, so I'll be giving you guys details on our Twitter um and on our discord uh when when those are ready um so yeah that's about it this is it's kind of sad but it's also like you know happy as well it's like it's I'm cool proud of and, us yeah and i'm i'm happy that we were able to do this i never knew what to expect out of germ syllabus but i i think overall it was a, a good success um and you know so even too. just the even just the conversations when we didn't have any listeners it was still like beneficial um, it was just, it was just fun. Um, it so, kept us on our toes. 
Exactly, exactly. During yeah. a crazy <laughs> but, season. Like, jeez. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that was the other thing that I didn't expect either was just that, like, in that time frame, like, <laughs> Elon so bought crazy. Twitter, the rise of AI. FTX uh, collapse. FTX collapses. Yeah, so it's like Lenda so much and stuff. Chat GPT came out. Yeah, exactly. So it's like so much stuff happened while we were doing this and we had like a plan and all that stuff. It's just like, yeah, I think it was just a lesson that, you know, uh, news happens really fast. You gotta ride the waves. Yeah, you just have to ride the waves, exactly, and just like uh, adapt. So um, it's great, yeah. <laughs> there was a point when Twitter spaces didn't exist for a day. Just oh my God. Know, uh... In between last week and this week, you went to schedule this and it was just gone as a feature. We were like, uh, yeah. can we just finish <laughs> just... our series, please? Yeah, yeah. So, can you have a hissy fit for like, a, just a, like hold that Next hissy week? Fit. Yeah, next week. Exactly. Hold that hissy fit. Could you hold so, that hissy fit? So, thank you. Thank you, Elon, for keeping it or changing your mind and keeping Twitter spaces here. Um, all right. I feel like I've gone on long enough. <laughs> I just um, want to say happy holidays to everyone. Happy New Year. I hope everyone has a bunch of rest coming up because we all need to rest, Matt. Yeah. And, um, you know, keep germinating. Keep germinating. All right. Happy holidays as well. All right. See you when I see you guys. Good night, everyone.